You're listening to Market Scale Pro AV. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the privilege of having a conversation with Maris Insync, the founder of Mad Systems. Maris, how are you today? I'm excellent, thank you. Good morning. So I'm very excited to talk to you today about just your perspective on this industry that is changing so rapidly. Would you be kind enough to tell me a little bit about your journey that put you in the position where you decided, you know what, I'm going to found my own company. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those moments that uh, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people face at some point, and not all of us end up in a position where it it uh, it needs to happen. Um, I originally um, worked as an R and D engineer in aerospace. I used to design satellite subsystems and that kind of work. Um, ended up in the AV industry, um, worked as a head of development for uh, seven or eight years. And we got to a point where I felt that um, I needed to change the way in which things were happening. And so the only way to do that is to either convince everybody that there is another way that things ought to happen or um, you start your own business and uh, seeing that the first one didn't work, the second one was the remaining option. And so I ended up setting my own, um, setting up my own company, which as an engineer, um, let me tell you, there's a whole bunch of stuff that um, none of us know about um, or are particularly interested in. And then it's a case of surrounding yourself with the right people to take on um a lot of that kind of aspect of um, of setting up a business, and then you're up and running. And now you can um, mostly um, use the standards that you want to work to, and do the things that you want to do within the restrictions of making sure that you pay everybody's mortgage at the end of the month. You know, one thing I've always found fascinating when engineers bring their analytical thinking to the creative side of any industry, there always seems to be an amazing increase in efficiency, which then allows for greater creativity. Have you found that to be the case? That's a really interesting question. I think, <clears throat> I think engineering training um, in a lot of places do not particularly um, cultivate or appreciate creativity in the way that we need to do that. Certainly, in the aspects of the AV industry that we work in. So museums, visitor centers, theme parks, that kind of work. And um, I'm not sure that it increases efficiency. I think we as engineers have cares that are different from um, the way a businessman would see our, our would see the process of running a business. I think our priorities are different. Um, I think that, um, when you when you work in an area where creativity is required because engineers on the whole tend to be fairly flexible um because that's how we that's how we are trained that part of it works the business end of things i'm not sure if we increase efficiency because quite frankly um everybody here in my office knows that uh, i can be terrible when it comes to the point of i have a cunning plan because those words here strike the fear into just about everybody. Um, <laughs> so is it is it the most efficient? I'm not sure. Do we end up with the result that we can be proud of? 
And the answer to that is definitely yes. Is it as cost efficient as it can always be in terms of do we do we optimize our margins, which as a businessman you should? Um, and the answer to that is it, it's not a primary concern. The primary concern is the end product. So an engineer turned businessman, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's always the best thing, but um, you learn an awful lot in the uh, uh, on the on the journey. Put it that way. Well, I do think there are a couple of advantages that you bring with your perspective from the analytical objective side. The way that you see the development of the interactives, the touch screens. You mentioned the work that you're doing in museums and visitor centers. That's a very interesting blend that's happening right now. Yes, it is. Um, from a technology perspective and from an engineering perspective, um, it gives us an opportunity to um, to benefit from some of, the, some of the incredible changes we've seen. I was talking to one of my colleagues yesterday about seeing our first projector and looking at the impact that has had on our lives in terms of how we design things and and how things work and you know you can come up with with 20 or 30 or probably 50 of these kind of um, fantastic changes that have allowed us to increase the creativity of what is at the end of it and yeah i so so yes absolutely from that point of view yes it's certainly um, is a very interesting. It's, it's a very interesting combination, combining engineering and creativity and the analytical thought process that goes behind it to turn up a result that is different. And, and that's kind of what we specialize in. I think I might be a bit more of a traditionalist when it comes to walking into the Louvre, for example. I, I know that the Mona Lisa is behind, you know, four inches of protected environmental glass and that it's smaller than people think it is. But still, I want to see the thing in the entire context of where it is in real space. But virtual reality gives me an opportunity to see it up close. And talk to me a little bit about the balance between those two worlds within a museum or a visitor center. It's interesting you should bring that up because obviously um, th there are some fairly divergent viewpoints on the use of VR in the museum space. My, um, a friend of mine took a picture, um, a friend of mine in Holland, in fact, took a picture of her husband and her, their grandson. And he is walking, um, he's, he's walking around and you can see that he is looking down at the, at the three foot grandkid and the grandkid is looking up at grandpa. And there's this incredible bond between the two that you can see grandpa's telling a story and the grandkid is listening or vice versa who knows but it's captured this moment incredibly and i've actually been using this photograph to um, explain to people what it is that matters about museums and visitor centers and all these kind of things my feeling is that the primary concern or the primary thing that that um, that I really care about is that transfer of information and, that, and and creating that bond whereby, you know, 40 years after your, your grandpa is gone, you still remember that moment. And to me, that means that personal contact and an opportunity to create that moment is what we should be striving for when we put a museum or a visitor center together. Um, to my mind, VR takes away from that. 
um, using using telephone-based applications take away from that. But to go back to VR for a second, <clears throat> the problems that I see with VR in museums is that you're basically breaking up a moment whereby friends and family can interact into individual experiences. And this is why I'm not a great one for using audio tours um, when, when we design. We put them in because, um, you know, there are occasions when it makes sense to do so. There's ADA requirements and that kind of thing. Perfectly fine. But we should always strive to create a, a moment of human interaction that is remembered afterwards. And that is one of my biggest concerns with um, the way People are looking at using VR at the moment. When when you're looking at something like looking at the uh, at the Mona Lisa, I think that I also think that the moment of being in the presence of the Mona Lisa adds something that you cannot do with VR. I mean, you can even when you're there. I think you're taking something away by doing that. Does VR have a place? Yes, absolutely. Is it great fun to play with? Yes, and we use it here in the lab when um, when we're working on exhibition, uh, sorry, exhibitions, visit centers, buildings, corporate kind of spaces. We will have people coming in here, and we can um, we can put them into that space in order in order for our clients to be able to see that space. I think it's fantastic for that. Um, it has twenty other uses, uh, uses, but you need to be careful about how you use it in museums so that you don't turn it into an event that people can have at home. Because the essence of um, getting people into a museum is that you're offering something that they can't have at home. Because otherwise, why would they come? One thing that I think is a point of concern with augmented reality and the use of that, it has to be seamless. It has to be a part of the experience, not all of the experience. Recent changes in technology could possibly help ease that convergence, right? I think that it really depends on how you apply it. Um, I believe that AR is a much easier technology to apply when it comes to um, not taking away from the overall experience. If you look at the um, the really nice ARs that I think everybody has seen by now, where kids are petting a virtual tiger or a penguin, or there's water, there's, there's a shark that comes past, or a dolphin that comes up, you can see a situation where the entire family is involved. I love to see that. I mean, that to me is a fantastic use of of, of technology. Animal for it, so it really depends on how you apply it um, and and how you set it up so that it, like I said before, it becomes an experience to be enjoyed by a group, not by split up individuals. Um, and the technology is now there to be able to do some really nice stuff with that. Um, like I said, the the the, the projected. Um, uh, surfaces that people are using and using the, the large um, imagery where kids can pet animals and, and, and can immerse themselves into you know, different environments as part of a family, I, I think it's fantastic. Well, obviously, the, the goal is to use technology without disrupting the environment. Is there anything that you're working on currently that, that you are at liberty to talk about that demonstrates that move that you're making to maybe repurpose or re-engineer this technology? Yes. 
um, is this the right time to talk about it? I, I guess at some point we should. Um, for years, and, and, and to take a step back, I would disagree about the fact that we don't want to disrupt the environment. I think disrupting the environment is perfectly fine, provided you do it with a purpose and provided that, again, you create a memorable experience in doing so. Um, disrupting an environment could be putting somebody on Mars and making them feel like the environment, you know, the entire environment is Mars. And we can do that relatively simply. Um, to that point, I've been looking for many years at museums and felt that it was time to make um, a change in a way that we present information. And the reason for that is that we have um, here in the US, we have two major languages that are being spoken, and we we need to cater for that to at least some extent. Um, you know, we need to allow for um, English, we need to allow for Spanish, we probably ought to allow for a few other languages here and there, just as a minor example. So wouldn't it be nice if all of those fixed graphics that we normally see in museums and visitor centers weren't? And I've been looking for years at technology that would allow us to basically virtualize a space in a museum or virtualize the entire museum space. So we no longer use fixed graphics. We no longer use um, uh, things that we can't change easily and on the fly. And so far, it's been really difficult to do that because of the cost implications. But recent developments in projectors, specifically projector costs and, and very definitely lasers um, in order to make sure that you can contain your maintenance, your ongoing maintenance costs, combined with the um, um, getting IT and AV closer and closer together, combine that with wireless technology, combine it with cheaper and cheaper and smaller computers. And we're currently working at a development, we have been working working on a development where we've been looking at okay what's the most expensive thing that you're going to get into any of these kind of venues and the answer is um, anything from infrastructure to large costly projectors that need a lot of um, a lot of work in terms of cost land changes that kind of thing um, and just the the infrastructure to make that whole thing going has kind of held us back now that we're at a point where we can do ultra short throw laser projectors for not a lot of money and we can do micro servers um, for a very reasonable cost and we can wirelessly connect them safely into a system whereby we really don't need as many wires and infrastructure as we used to in the past. It's still nice to have some, but we don't not, not everything needs to depend on cables and wires. We've got to the point where we're currently running tests on a system where we are virtualizing a museum um, and, in fact, a visitor center that we're currently working on to the point where if you wanted to walk in there with a with something around your neck that says, I would, you know, my preference for language is Spanish and you were to walk up to an exhibit and that exhibit is currently the one that you're looking at. And, you know, the, the space isn't full so that we're not disrupting everything. But it's possible for us to automatically change over to Spanish at that point or to Mandarin or to whatever. Conversely, if you're an adult, you probably want your information um, 
brought to you in a slightly different manner than when you're a five-year-old. Um, and again, by um, by having this tiny little object that you have on you, we can change the way that the information is being displayed. So no longer is content fixed and no longer are we limited when we design content to knowing that this content is going to be there for the next 20 years. We can update it. You know, something new happens in the water industry where we're doing a, a visitor center. Um, we can just redo the content and at the cost of changing the content, we can update it tomorrow um, because we have a central server that you change the content on and overnight all of the necessary parts of the museum will update themselves over the wireless network and tomorrow morning you'll have fresh content. So I think that's a that's a major change that we're looking at um, within the industry that I just haven't seen anybody use yet. We've been working on this now for six months to a year. Um, since the technology has got to the point where we're comfortable with it, we've been doing experiments and testing and all kind of stuff with it, and it and it works, and it works really well. So I thought that was kind of exciting. That is, and that brings me to my last question for the day. Of all of the museums that you have had the pleasure of walking through, which one would you love to have an opportunity to fit? <laughs> oh. Um, that's a that's a long list, I'm afraid. Um, that's actually quite a long that's actually quite a long list. Well, let's 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 cut to let's cut to the chase. I'm a pilot, um, and uh, so I would love to be involved in something like the Museum of Flight um, in Seattle. That would be one that I really would love to to do something with because um, it's a subject dear to my heart um, and. I think that there's opportunities to do things with aircraft that uh, haven't been done. Um, that would be fun to do. I think for a second one, I would say um, EMP um, be lovely to be involved with music. I play a couple of instruments and that's another one um, that I kind of feel strongly about. It's, it's lovely to get kids involved in music. And most of uh, what is being taught at the moment is so formal that I think we're turning as many kids off as we're turning on. And I think that uh, that's another one that would be uh, that would be fun to do. Um, so, two, does that does that work as an immediate answer? Because because both of those are very easy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a fantastic way to wrap this up. And I want to thank you for taking the time today. Today, I have been speaking with Maris Insing, the founder of Mad Systems. Maris, thank you so very much for your time today. It's been really interesting. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.